So I'm just going to go right into the, to the sermon this week. I don't even know if do you call these sermons. I think homily makes it sound like kind of smaller. But I had, I had kind of a lovely week this last week because my mom and my sister Lindsay and two of my nieces came to visit and they stayed for a few nights. So we'd all been social distancing and so we just figured we could maybe have a little bit of contact with each other. Plus it was sort of a rare time um, for me to get to see my mom because my dad, she, she's a caretaker for my dad who is, uh, has dementia and Parkinson's. And he took a fall a couple of weeks ago and it turns out he's fine, but he had to go to like a little rehab center for some physical therapy. So this gave my mom like sort of a delightful couple of weeks of being able to, to come and see some of her kids. And so Lindsay brought two of my nieces with her who are 10 and eight, Gwenny and Vivian, and they just, you know, make me smile. And actually Vivian, the youngest turned eight just yesterday. So she also had a birthday on this weekend. And Vivian is the most social of my five nieces, and she just loves talking to all of her friends. She's super extroverted, and she's also very dramatic, but in the best of ways. And so she has just been really, really sad the last two or three weeks that she couldn't have a birthday party and see all of her friends. And I know some of you, um, you kids who have been here on Zoom, you've also been having birthdays, like I saw Lydia, who ran, um, read this morning, had a birthday party over Zoom, and it's just, it's not quite the same. I know it's a bummer. So Vivian was just talking to me about how bummed she was feeling about that. And so I asked her, I just said, well, have you ever done anything to like mark your sadness about this? You know, like you could draw a picture or maybe you could light a candle. And as you would expect with a, a seven turning eight-year-old, she looked at me and she said, that's weird. And I was like, Okay, I know it sounds weird, and I know I'm like your weird pastor aunt, but because you've been so sad about it, you just might find it helpful to do something that would like represent your sadness, and you could talk to God about it. You could plant a flower, draw a picture. Now, I don't know if she will, like who knows what sticks with that kid, but it had me thinking about ways that all of us can like name our griefs as we go along, and that includes both the small ones as well as the large ones. And this is a week where, for many people, um, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery caused a really large grief, right? It's salt on the very open wound of systemic racism. But this is where I think our faith tradition has some helpful practices, and that includes lament, which is grieving. And that's what I was trying to help my niece do in a small way. Right? There's a real benefit to having these sort of tangible rituals that can help our bodies process grief. Right, when I think of lament, I often think of like crying and wailing. And lament can be those things, but it can also be things like lighting candles and saying prayers. Or like last Friday, I know a lot of people either ran or walked 2.23 miles, right, to collectively grieve Ahmaud Arbery's death. Um, I went and walked at the park. So he was, he was shot on 2.23 and this last Friday he would have been 26. So that was like a physical way that as a community we could grieve together. And we remember that like knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle, right? It's helping sort of that grief work through our bodies. So a few years back, I read a book that I think could be helpful for us during this pandemic in terms of helping us have a spiritual framework for processing. And that book is called Reality, Grief, Hope by Walter Brueggemann. And I'm gonna put that in the chat just so you have it, as well as um, sort of the main points of it. 
right? So for his entire career, Walter Brueggemann, he's written about the need for American Christians to face the realities of the injustices in our nation and actually accurately name them, to collectively grieve them, to imagine together how things could be different, and then to hope and plan for that better reality. And he calls this having a prophetic imagination. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. was doing, right, when he said, I have a dream, right? It's allowing the like in our face disparities that we're seeing to like, help drive us to imagine something different and better together. So I actually saw some prophetic imagination creep into the virtual Zoom lunch hour that we had this last Thursday. And I don't even think those of you who were on there even knew you were doing it, but a couple of you were talking about how maybe after this pandemic has passed, there'll be like greater support for things like equitable healthcare or for living wages, for underpaid services, right? That these are things that we should be able to figure out together how to do better. Um, and so that dreaming about what needs to happen and what should happen is prophetic imagination. And it very often foments in the midst of grief. And I think this is, this is part of the time we are in, right? This is part of the task of the church which is to name and grieve these injustices and then to allow the spirit to help us dream of and advocate for a better future for all people. And I think that we who are white need to not dream of leading this charge, but of actively supporting the prophetic imagination of our non-white community members, right? So when I talk about prophetic imagination, it's, it's a collective process and we allow those who have been hurt the most to lead it because they can see most clearly where we need to do better. And so that's reality, grief, hope, right? We're a people of hope because there's always hope. Now, remember a few weeks back, I told you that I'd gotten caught in that election violence in Kenya back in 2007. And so my friends and I were there and we had to evacuate the country. And the flight that we were able to get out took us to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we got there and we were able to stay in a, a very simple Christian guest house. Right? It's the kind that like you have to contribute to the upkeep. So you go and you help like cook the food and do the cleaning while you stay there. And so I don't remember exactly what it was that we were doing, but I have a memory of being with my friends like in the yard or the courtyard of this guest house. And we were doing something really physical. Like I think we were beating rugs, like beating the dust out of rugs. It was either like rugs or blankets, the big blankets. And as we were doing that, like we had these like sticks in our hand, we were like naming the various hard things that had happened to us and that we had seen happen to others in the violence. Um, and I should probably say here that I have to acknowledge that we had the privilege of evacuating, right? But even with that privilege, we were witnesses to injustice and we experienced some, right? So we're beating this rugs uh, or these rugs and it came to a point where it just started to feel so ridiculous that we started laughing as we did it even though the things we were saying were hard, right? So like one person would beat the rug and say, and then we got robbed. And then the next person would take a turn and say, and then there were fires, you know? And then the next person, and then there were gunshots. And then there wasn't any food on Christmas, you know? And we're just beating it. And then we just started laughing. And there was something really cathartic about that physical lament. And that's what it was, it was lament. And then someone started singing a worship song that you might've heard. We're going to sing it later. And it starts with, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. And then there's a verse that says, I'm pressed but not crushed, 
actually, let me put this, I'll copy and paste this into the, into the chat so you can see it. Impressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I'm blessed beyond the cursed for his promise will endure that his joy is going to be my strength. And these lyrics come right from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Right? And so as we sing it, what we were doing was trying to remember the promises of God. And that raised our hopes for the things that we were lamenting, and they started to intermingle with joy. Let me put, let me actually put the verse from 2 Corinthians 4, this is 7 through 10, on here, and we'll look at it again here. Paul is writing, and he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And so that day that I was in Ethiopia, I remember I went back to my room and I started reading through 2 Corinthians from the beginning. And it was like I had a little bit of an epiphany with that book. Um, I realized just the amount of pressure that the Apostle Paul was under and he was being criticized and his faith and his leadership were being questioned. And throughout it, he's like pleading with the people. He's like, look, guys, I've suffered. I've been thrown in jail for my faith. I've been shipwrecked twice. I've been beaten. I've been exiled. I've been accused. But you know what? I'm okay. I'm hard pressed, but I'm not going to be crushed. I'm not going to despair because I'm not abandoned by God. And there are so many scriptures in, in the Bible that speak about both grief and joy together. Right? Those two emotions are very often intertangled with one another. So like the prophet Jeremiah talks about how God will turn our mourning into joy. And this one, I'll put it down in the, in the chat. This is from Isaiah. He talks about how God will provide for those who grieve in Zion, will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then we see Jesus echoing this in John chapter 16. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Now, we might not be able to access that joy in the moment, right? Our hopes and our joys might not even be fulfilled in our lifetimes when we're talking about like really big things like systemic injustice. I know I feel zero joy over Ahmaud Arbery's death and very, maybe I won't say very little hope. My hope feels tiny at this moment about immediate systemic change. So I'm not telling you that you have to have joy like in the midst of these things, but rather birth hope for a future that can bring joy. So let me close by, by sharing um, a trauma life hack. This is from a friend of mine. Um, we're mostly Twitter friends, to be honest. Her name is Shannon um, Dingle, and she lost her husband in a freak accident last year like a wave hit him and broke his neck on the beach. Six kids. And she put this, um, she said this, she said, here's a trauma life hack. When you feel like you're in the darkest of dark places, just say out loud, I remember the light. And then speak and receive those words with the reality that darkness is real, but so is the light whenever it may return. And so I thought that might be a little bit helpful for some of you who are like frontline healthcare workers at Blue Ocean, because I know some of you are watching or watching later. 
I feel like my day-to-day -day is pretty simple right now, but I know for many of you it's not. And so I think that that line, I remember the light, could be helpful. It's just like, there's always hope. I remember the light. We, were, we bear witness to this light, even if we don't get to see the fruition of it in the immediate. So what we're going to do for the meditation time is this. But if you, if you brought a candle, I couldn't find another one other than the four that I usually use, so I'm going to double use one. If you have a candle, get it ready. If not, um, you can look at one of the ones online and use it as your own. And we're going to use these candles and light them as symbols of our laments. And so we'll spend just a minute or two in quiet meditation so that we can name these little individual griefs before God, right? So they can either be big ones or they can be things like missing birthday parties or just missing team sports. And also I thought for those of you um, maybe you've lost your mother or your mom is sick or absent in some way, you might want to light a candle for her on this day. So we'll take a minute or two to do this. You families can do it together and you can light the candle whenever you're ready to do so. And if you'd like, you can type some of your laments into the chat box if you'd like, if you'd like us to collectively mourn those. So let's take a minute and then I'll close that time by saying we remember the light. And I'm going to mute myself so I can say my laments out loud too. We remember the light. I speak these words on all of our behalf that we understand the reality that darkness is real, but so is the light whenever it may return. Amen.